0: I think treating free to play as an owned and operated affiliate is a pretty interesting approach to acquisition. And it is by definition cheaper, right? You're not paying yourself 350 bucks or you're not paying yourself 45, 50 euros. You're not paying anybody else a red share. You're not paying a CPA like that, right?
1: Hey, this is Jesse here, and you're about to hear my chat with Hussein Naki, founder and CEO of Inside the Pocket, a free-to-play content aggregation platform, and Wonderwinds, a DFS product for cricket and soccer fans in emerging markets. In our discussion, Hussein talks about the current state of the free-to-play landscape, the challenges of growing two different companies with different business models in parallel, and some insightful observations on the India market based on his experience operating Wonderwinds there. I really enjoyed hearing Hussein's takes on everything, and I hope you enjoy this episode as much as I did. But before we get started, the time is almost upon us to congregate in New Jersey for the SBC Summit North America, which happens next week from May 9th to 11th. I'll be there meeting with founders from early stage companies in the space, and I'll also be hosting the first pitch competition on Wednesday, where five awesome industry startups will compete for a prize package valued at over $50,000. It's not too late to register, which you can do by visiting www.sbcevents.com and make sure to use promo code ESP23 for $200 off of your ticket. All right, we are back. Episode 67 of the Betting Startups podcast. And for this one, we welcome Hussain to the podcast. And Hussain, we're recording this just a handful of days before SBC Summit North America in New Jersey, where it seems like most of the industry will be descending uh, in a couple of days here, ourselves included. And uh, we'll talk more about that in a minute because you and your company, which we'll get into, were nominated as one of the five finalists for the first pitch competition at SBC Summit North America. So first and foremost, congratulations on the nomination. Uh, But before we get into all of these details, let's just check in. How are things going on your end? today first of all it's just it, it's awfully kind of you to have me and uh, really pleased to be
0: here i've uh, been uh been begging you for a year so it's good to uh, <laughs> it, it, it finally make it uh, yeah no we're look we're, we're totally tickled to uh to get the nomination there are obviously four other unbelievable uh, candidates yeah. up on the stage as well so equally honored to share the stage with them but um it's been great it's been great it's been um a real a sort of a wild six to eight months since we've really gone live in in, you know, in sort of kick the ball in anger, as they would say, here in the UK. Uh we, we really launched uh full fledged, you know, just ahead of the World Cup on the B 2 B side of the business. And um super excited about the results, super excited about the technology, super excited yeah. about the reception of the business, you know, sort of generally, but um get into that. But that's uh, it's been good. It's been good.
1: Right on. Well, look, I guess uh, I should also mention uh, that. Yeah, we did speak almost a year ago. Now we actually met last July at the previous installment of SBC North America. I think Dan Kostelski from Chalkline introduced us. We got to talking. We said, hey, we should have you on the podcast. Here we are almost a year later. And we're just now getting around to it. So thanks for your patience with me, Hussain. I, um, I was teasing <laughs> you. Kudos to you for, uh, for, for having such a successful podcast. Well, look, uh, just to start off with here, as we do at the beginning of every episode, it'd be great to spend a couple of minutes up front just talking about yourself. And if you could give folks listening a bit of a sense of you, your background, and maybe some of the major chapters of your career up until you co-founded Wonderwinds and Inside the Pocket. Yeah, thank you. So my background really is in
0: North American professional sports. I'm old, so I've had a lot of jobs in my life. But my, my first job out of college was with the NFL. I left the NFL and then went to the NCAA. I went to graduate school shortly thereafter, went to Major League Baseball, was involved in in the building of MetLife Stadium very early on, employee number one, employee number two of, of that organization. So uh, MetLife Stadium, for those of you who may not know, is um, where the Jets and the Giants play, just across the street from where SBC will be held this year in, in the Meadowland. Uh, and then I left uh, to become uh, the head of fan engagement for the Jacksonville Jaguars after we got the naming rights of the, of the stadium sold. Went down to Jacksonville for a few years and then moved out to, to London, England about eight years ago to run the business for the Jags here in, in the UK. But left that uh, job about a year and year, 15 months ago or so to, uh, to as you say, start inside the pocket and, and um, see
1: what the entrepreneurial life would be like. And here we are. Um, a couple of questions just on here that we before are. we... We go forward, uh, Hussein. I mean, obviously, you know, your background in professional sports and some of the chapters along your journey there. I mean, you you were literally in charge of fan engagement, as you say, with the Jags. Uh, and now, obviously, you're building solutions for fan engagement within inside the pocket. And i just just curious, before we kind of get into the weeds here, at a high level, can you just give us your perspective, given the view of the landscape you have on the current state of, I guess, how teams and leagues are generally doing with digital fan engagement here in, you know, early to mid-2023?
0: Yeah. Well, look, it's a, it's a complicated, it's a complicated landscape to navigate, frankly, right? particularly for teams, right? So if you start at the team level, right, there's always this kind of ebb and flow between the rights of the, the league office and, and the teams and, and who's going to, what, what, what rights sit on, on which side of the ledger. And obviously, a lot of that is, is a function of purely what rights are, are sort of delegated to the team. But then also, how are you going to be fair to your broadcasters? How are you going to leverage the, the collective rights as, as as broadly as you can at the, at the league level versus what you're going to allow teams to do. Plus, there's an equity question: small market versus versus uh, large market. I think by and large, they're feeling their way through it pretty well. You know, some leagues clearly embracing things like gaming a little bit differently to others. Uh, the NBA, of course, has been out up front. Um, and, and, others have, have followed in, in, various ways. So, you know, I think it's, it's, it's a difficult question to answer because I think you have to look at it sort of platform by platform. And, you know, I think one of the challenges is that as you chop up the, the landscape and you get smaller and smaller bites of the, of the apple, uh, with these various platforms, you know, at what point do you start really eviscerating the, 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 the golden egg, right? the, the TV rights. Uh, and And how do you how do you balance that and then of course, with the significant shift in the landscape around RSNs, you know what what does that mean for, for folks? I think it's it's just evolving so super quickly that you know, you do your best to to keep up and you do your best to make sure that you're not setting some bizarre precedent for a set of technologies that they just don't know about and unfortunately when you're when you're juggling so much, it feels sometimes like you're being a luddite, but in, 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 in point of fact, you're just trying to be careful. and and making sure that you're not misstepping for the next groundbreaking technology that could be
1: kind of along the way that nobody knows about today. So I guess with your background in fan engagement and just everything you've done there, sort of from the team and the league perspective, obviously you saw something within the landscape that prompted you to take that leap into entrepreneurship and everything you're doing now. Just wondering if we can sort of zoom in on that for a minute, Hussein, and if you can just sort of talk about kind of where you were at in your career and just sort of opportunity you saw and just kind of like what was the origin story i guess of ultimately deciding that you wanted to take this leap and kind of go on to the other side developing solutions for fan engagement
0: yeah you know i have to say i've been very lucky uh to have some really supportive mentors and and really supportive bosses and owners in my in my time was particularly ShotCon at the at the jags and and mark Lampick, who was my immediate boss at the jaguars they um they say they'll give give, you enough rope to hang yourself and One of the things we had to do when we got to Jacksonville was kind of reimagine the the fan experience because, you know, obviously the product on the field was was what it was and uh, attendance was what it was and the fundamentals of the market is what it is. So whether it was conceiving of the swimming pool that everybody knows about, whether it was being made fun of at the very beginning of, of our tenure there for broadcasting red zone in the stadium, whether it was creating a fantasy lounge, you know, whatever it was. What became very clear was we needed to have differentiated products for different people. You know, they consume the game differently. They think about the game differently. They're there for different reasons. Uh, that was both point one and then point two was data. We, we had one of the most transient and smallest NFL markets, and you had to be quite smart about how you're going to analyze who was coming, why they were coming, why they weren't coming, uh, and really think about what was going to resonate from a messaging perspective and from a programmatic marketing perspective. So for me, it was those two things that really. Kind of that, that underpin inside the pocket to be on the B two B side of the business, and what led me to actually make the leap was what I believe to be a, a gap in the market. You know, particularly post Passbook, uh, when you talk about uh, North American markets, certainly we were constantly being inundated with the latest and greatest new engagement tool or or tool to to cultivate a database for when betting became legalized in Florida, or you know, teaching people how to bet, whatever that means, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It's impossible from from a marketer's perspective, know what's going to, know what's going to land. So for me, it was, it, we set out to, to solve those problems. We solved the, the, the data problem with some of the stuff that we've done with Inside the Pocket, and we've created the first aggregation platform for free-to-play and pay-to-play content. So we now have 16 of the top developers signed up to our platform. And so when somebody's being pitched the latest and greatest new product, they don't really have to choose. They can take all of them through a single integration with us. And uh, just like a, a casino might take slots or might take poker, uh, we brought that to the free-to-play and pay-to-play gaming space.
1: Awesome. Well, that segues perfectly then. Um, let's start just at a high concept. Can you just quickly introduce for listeners inside the pocket and also help disambiguate a little bit uh, inside the pocket versus Wonder Wins, which I understand are B2B and B2C respectively. So you can just introduce those uh, high-level saying, and then we'll go deeper on each in a minute here.
0: Yeah. So... Inside the pocket is, as I said, an aggregation platform for free to play and pay to play content. So through a single integration with us at the platform level, uh, whether that is a standalone site or an integration with your sports book or, or integration with your, your app on, on, an SDK basis, we allow you to access an entire marketplace of sports content. So if it doesn't require a sports gaming content, if it doesn't, or a casino for that matter, it doesn't really matter to us. If it doesn't require a betting, a betting license, we'll, we'll put it on the platform so that videos, games, odds, articles, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then from there, we, we, we have some, what I believe to be the best in class data deals, whether that's our deal with Proof, uh, which is a single sign-on gateway to, to to pre-fill online forms, uh, our deal with Mark Hanks, which is one of the world's largest consumer demographics, demographic information provider, like an Experian, you know, whatever it is, is, the list is readily available on our site. You know, those things we we really focused on to make sure that we're providing as much information to our clients as we possibly can about, about who's coming to their site and where and why and and, and what they look like. We were asked about a year ago, year and a half ago by ESPN in in India to think about partnering with them to launch a fantasy proposition for them. And out of that was born uh, Wonderwinds, which is a, a DFS product for emerging markets. So we were live, we've been live in India for a little bit more than a year with cricket and football, and we'd go to soccer, and we'd be looking to take uh, that DFS concept and and some derivative concepts of that to emerging yeah. markets,
1: whether that's Latam, Africa, CIS, this kind of place, these kind of places. Awesome. Okay, well, let's do a bit of a deeper dive on each of those. And we'll start with the content aggregation platform on the B2B side inside the pocket. Sure. I mean, it's pretty obvious, I think, for probably most people listening, but just for the avoidance of doubt, um, can you just quickly speak to, I guess, the overall value proposition to the market? And I guess, you know for an operator i mean what what pain point is this ultimately solving that you know maybe didn't exist as a solution prior to inside the pockets formation
0: yeah so look i think most of the audience would probably agree that their retirement savings shouldn't be all tied up in one stock right that would be a very bad idea indeed our view similarly is that you shouldn't tie up your marketing and, and acquisition strategy in one product and so through a similar integration with us you diversify your rent so you would diversify your risk on a variety of levels, whether that is a content risk where you're now able to serve up different content from different providers to different elements of the market or regulatory risk, right? The fact that you can now take through a single platform, you can take these different products to a variety of different places across the country and indeed across the world, uh, we think is a really interesting and, and interesting USP. Furthermore, once you have these various or these, these, these sort of different content providers side by side. We're able to break down kind of the silos between them in terms of being able to provide you game data, player data, and uh, usage data across sort of a network of, of, of content rather than just, you know, having a singular view of a singular product and, and have that really be siloed. We, we, uh, we feel like we're really democratizing the space in a way that, you know, makes, makes life a
1: lot easier. Well, certainly a novel concept. And I mean, for those that have been in the industry for a while, I mean, we're all pretty familiar on the casino side with the idea of a casino aggregation platform and content aggregation on that side. Hasn't really been applied in the same sense to the sports vertical yet. So quite a novel approach, I would say. Curious to say, and I mean, you talked about the journey so far being about a year and a half. And anytime you talk about an aggregator platform with a single integration, you're talking about some pretty robust technology that needs to be developed. Curious if you can just talk about like where's inside the pocket from a you know attraction perspective, a go-to-market perspective. And is there any operators that have signed on to yet? Can you just give us a sense of kind of like where it's at in the journey from that perspective?
0: Yeah. So we're live in Brazil. Uh, we're live in uh in, in the Philippines. We're about to go live in in Japan. And we're utilizing a lot of our expertise that we've developed from a from a acquisition perspective out of India in uh, In places like chile and, and and again in brazil through through some affiliates that we're working with and and we're about to go live later uh, in about probably about uh, eight weeks in south Africa So for us it, we've been you know I'm based here in, in London, so we have a, it's probably a slightly different skewer or maybe maybe a, a, a less focused emphasis purely on north america uh, given given my geography for us the the perception has been really strong honestly uh, people. The, the challenge with, and I think most of your you, listeners will will appreciate this, that uh, decision life cycles are long, uh, roadmaps are long, uh, and there are a lot of people who have to make a lot of decisions on something like this. And so, in that regard, just it just takes time. But for us, we've 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 been really really excited about what we've seen. Uh, we went live, as I said in Brazil, just before the World Cup with a with uh, one of the biggest operators in Brazil called Pixbet. And, uh, and that, that went like gangbusters, frankly, you know, 10% FTD from, from signups. And, uh, it's been, it's been the, the, the technology stood up like a champ. We, we, we took it on the chin and didn't have a second of downtime. Uh, and that's been true both on, on the B2B and B2C side. So really, really thrilled with the status of the actual technology itself. Uh, our integrations take, about three weeks, our le- our latest integration that we did with a group called Snap Odds, which is kind of the Shazam of of, uh, of sports TV, it took three days. Uh, we started on a Monday and went live in Brazil on on, on the Thursday, and that allows you to take our platform, point your phone at the TV, it recognizes what you're watching, and pulls up anything you want, whether that's odds for that game, sponsor message, ticket message, merchandise, whatever it is. So, you know, those kind of technologies, those kind of
1: integrations have been really game changing for us. And I think been sort
0: of eyebrow raising for
1: the industry as well. Yeah, I can imagine. And I guess final question for now on, on Inside the Pocket, you're aggregating this content from, from third party developers. And I'm just curious to say, like your conversations with some of these folks and look, I've had several free to play games providers on the podcast in the past. And, we, you know, we're fairly familiar with that landscape on the show here. Just curious, like your conversations with some of these people, how does that go in so far as their efforts to commercialize their products on a direct basis? And now basically this content aggregation platform is a distribution channel for them, but albeit on more of like a B2B to C basis, like just sort of like what's the conversations like to kind of get that content onboarded into your platform?
0: Yeah, we are extremely humbled and extremely thrilled by uh, the faith that the free-to-play industry has put in us. And so we have sixteen. 16- Providers, uh, pretty much all of the ones that you could mention are on our platform. Uh, we're, we're tickled with, with the fate they, they've, uh, they've given us. It, for us, as you say, right, it, for everybody, right, it, it's sort of a win-win. For operators and, and media companies and whoever is looking at us, they win because they don't have to say no to anybody. Mm-hmm. Uh, the developers don't necessarily have to lose a, a competition anymore. Uh, the end consumer wins because they get to choose the best product. Uh, and for us, we, we are really are Switzerland in a lot of ways, right? We're, we're totally agnostic yeah. to who gets chosen. Uh, we just want the best stuff out there. And if that means one developer's product is resonating with a certain operator, fine. If it means that somebody else's is,
1: then that, you know, that's fine too. Awesome. And as if building a content aggregation platform and all the technology and all of the B2B and commercial side of it, that all of the complexity around that, as if that wasn't enough, you've taken on <laughs> a Challenge. And- <laughs> and uh, as you said at the outset here, I mean, you have a B2C line of business as well. Wonder Wins is the product, DFS for cricket and soccer in emerging markets. I'd love to spend just a couple minutes here, Hussein, talking about that as well. Maybe the opening question, which I'm sure some people might be thinking right around now is, you know, you got the call from ESPN, which, which might have been a bit of a prompt to start it. But like strategically speaking, what was sort of your thought process in starting up this B2C product and line of business when you've already got your hands full with the B2B platform?
0: Yeah, no, it's 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 a great question. It's the right question. Um, you know, for us, it makes a lot of sense for for a couple of reasons. One, you know, very selfishly, uh, and certainly as we're we're out fundraising from an enterprise value perspective, we think it really drives a lot of value. We think there's a huge opportunity in emerging markets DFS. You know, if you look at if you look at the products, particularly in North America, that are getting a lot of traction, whether that's from a from a user based perspective or from a from a funding perspective, you know, a lot of the the, the DFS side of things are are, is driving that, you know, and I, I, think for, for us, it, it ends up being a really interesting precursor to, you know, real money betting or real money sports betting in, in a particular geography, particularly when the geography has a very, uh, let's call it a, a tapestry of, of, regulatory frameworks and, you know, or, or frankly, it's, it, it's the wild west, right? I mean, it, it, there, there are certainly some, some countries where, where that is the case and some regions where that's what that, that is the case. And I think for us, the fact that we can be in a B2C space and not compete with our, our operator friends, I think is, is important, right? The fact that we are squarely in the game of skill uh, sort of category and not, not going head to head with our operator friends uh, is, is really important. Um, and, and I think for us, those were really the drivers. Once we got sort of the initial overtures from, from Crick info, we, we thought that there was some real, there
1: was some real legs here. No, all, all fair enough. Um, I'd also be remiss if I didn't ask uh, a little bit about just the, the emerging market strategy and specifically India. I'd love it if we could just talk briefly about India. And, you know, I've been seeing more and more decks lately with, with India referenced as a growth market um, and an opportunity for for early stage companies in the space. But admittedly, you know, I think probably from a North American perspective in particular, there's not a lot of clear understanding about what the landscape looks like in India right now. So I'm just wondering, Hussein, just given uh, everything you and your team are doing with Wonderwinds in that market, can you give us an overview of the current landscape in India from an industry perspective and maybe just some of your initial observations coming out of it so far?
0: Uh, it's evolving, right? That That's, I would say, the the easiest way of putting it. It, it, sounds, it sounds like a cop-out and I'm not about <laughs> to answer your question, but... You know, the reality is that it's a, it's a game of skill versus game of chance kind of market on a state by state basis. They make those determinations. So things like DFS, rummy, poker, those kind of products, uh, some card games, some other card games are considered games of skill, uh, and therefore legal uh, sports betting is, is, is not, uh, and there are a variety of cultural twos and pros that, that, you know, any society, particularly emerging market societies really struggle with and which is totally understandable I mean as you as more and more people are coming online with phones and data is getting cheaper uh, and there's more accessibility to higher speed networks and people live their lives on their phone whether that's through payments whether it's through ordering whether it's through socializing whatever the case may be you know the, the, there are some there are some externalities that governments and, and society need to need to account for I I, I get that so yep, India's is is struggling with that. Or struggling is not the right word, but they're 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 figuring their way through that India India's expensive. Um, you know, the actual sort of individual cost of acquisition is not that high. But in order to get your name out there and in order to cut through, it's it's not cheap. You know, when you're just when you're dealing with the sheer volume of people, you know, to, to buy into that mind share is 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 not for the pain of work. Um, but you know, it represents Huge opportunity. Uh, there's a real stratification in in the society between sort of tier one, tier two, tier three cities. Uh, and if you find your find your group, there's a serious opportunity there. And you know, I think the there's sort of this constant view or constant sort of assumption that at some point uh, it will legalize. I think at some at some point sports betting will legalize. And you know, I think you need to play by the rules in order to get there. And and the people who do play by the rules are going to be the ones who are ultimately going to benefit from that from right, a regulatory perspective, but that's a few moons off.
1: Awesome. No, I appreciate the insight there. Uh, I know a lot of people are curious and understanding it better, but we simply don't have a lot of subject matter experts on India from a North American perspective. So appreciate that, Hussein. Let's zoom out a little bit. Uh, I'd love to get your take just sort of at the industry level on the current state of the free-to-play model, right? Um, I guess just for background and context, uh, you might have different data points than me, but I'll just sort of say anecdotally, sort of five-ish years ago, You know, my observation was there was this proliferation of the free to play category. Some providers started coming online and selling into operators. And really at that time, the promise of free to play was really, you know, from a KPI perspective, it was touted as being an inexpensive acquisition channel for operators. And I'm curious to say in sort of here now, 2023, you know, more providers coming online. You guys, you know, with the content aggregation platform, making it easier for operators to integrate with these providers, you know, do those KPIs, I guess, still hold true? And I guess, does the original promise of free-to-play still stand up here or has it gotten more expensive or is the value shifted elsewhere? Just give us a sense of kind of what your state of the union is with the free-to-play model in general.
0: Yeah, look, I think, I think it's a difficult question to answer because I, I think you can't lump everything together, right? I think, I think you have to sort of view free-to-play as a strategy, not a tactic. And I think unfortunately, what's often happened is you know you sort of spin up a pick sick game, you spin up a, a, a fantasy simulator type of product, and then you just see whether that works or doesn't work, and then if it if it doesn't get the traction, you were promised, then somehow or another free to play as a as a general proposition doesn't work and i'm i, I I'm not so long as as a particularly strong I, that's not persuasive to me, but but no I think what you have to do is put the requisite time, put the requisite sort of thought process and requisite effort in that acquisition channel, right? not, not to unlike the thought that would go into signing up an affiliate. I think treating free to play as an owned and operated affiliate is a pretty interesting approach to acquisition. And it is by definition cheaper, right? You're not paying yourself 350 bucks or you're not paying yourself 45, 50 euros. You're not paying anybody else a red share. You're not paying a CPA like that, right? So, you know, the, the reality is that by definition, if you do it properly, it, 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 it should come down. Now, the, the challenge is, I think, in the priority scheme of things, you know, how, who owns that, right? And, and who is going to be the, the person who's going to champion that internally? And, you know, when there's so many people putting out so many fires and people are trying to, whether it's trying to keep their sports book up or trying to get ready for the Super Bowl or get ready for the Masters or get ready for March Madness, whatever it is, it just gets lost. And, you know, like any other quote unquote cost center or marketing cost, you know, you, you need a strong champion. If you don't have that strong champion internally,
1: then it's going to fizzle. Let's shift a little bit here uh, for the next few minutes to talk about fundraising. Obviously, a very, uh, it's always an interesting topic within startup land. Obviously, right now, a little bit more so perhaps just with the state of the macro environment around us. So a few yes. questions here to say, maybe just for context for folks listening, could you give us a little bit of a funding background? Or uh, I know there's some public information saying you previously raised, I think it was somewhere around 3 million sterling. Can you just sort of talk about that and maybe the road here from a fundraising perspective? And then we'll segue from there into some future fundraising plans that you may have.
0: Yeah. You're right. You know, that is, that is, that was our uh, sort of initial round. We're out raising a a series A right now. Look, it's, it is, it is not easy. I I don't, I don't think anybody who's out there has found it easy. If it it has, kudos to them. You're my idol. uh, If you found it easy so far. Look, I think that the challenge, as you rightly point out, is a macroeconomic one, right? It's easy to sit on cash, right? It's easy to wait for for valuations to come down even further. It's easy to wait and see what, what the next kind of three to six months are from, from whether this recessionary pressure or, you know, just what is the market going to do? What, is my, what, is, what are interest rates going to do? You know, are you going to start seeing some, some dialing back of, of interest rates? Are they going to keep keep rising so, you know, you can get your 5% clip on, on cash you're sitting on? All those kind of things, I think, particularly from a corporate, corp debt perspective, are, are all really sort of important factors. Same thing on the private side. Private equity buy is sort of sitting on the sidelines a little bit, waiting for the right opportunity, whereas 10, 12 months ago, they were more open to taking a punt. It felt like even as, there, as, as, as recently as sort of three months ago, things are going to be loosening up a little bit and there was a lot of sort of crowd, clouds were breaking a little bit. But I think um, at least the feedback we've gotten has been uh, great idea, great concept, really excited your
1: post-revenue, great traction, give us three bucks. Interesting. And I'm just curious, like, as you're out there now, you know, boots on the ground, raising money for the Series A, if you sort of like compare and contrast some of the conversations you're having now with those you had previously when you raised the $3 sterling, what's your read on how investors are adjusting, right? I mean, you just sort of said they're being more selective with the capital they're deploying. But I guess just, you know, at at a conversational level, like, what are some of the maybe questions they're asking that suggest to you that they've made some adjustments? And just what does that look like in the way the conversations are materializing so far?
0: Yeah. So for us, I think we're in a slightly different position, just given the time, the distance from the
1: time that we raised to today.
0: At that time, the reality is we're basically, power, right? We were raising off, we were raising off of a, we off of a, a fairly shell product, that kind of thing. And, and we didn't have a whole lot to show for it. we very, very grateful, very lucky to, to gotten the investors where we got and deeply, deeply indebted to them, not from a debt perspective a gratitude perspective. Um, I think today what you're seeing is more of an emphasis on revenue, more of an emphasis on, particularly now that we're post revenue. Okay, well, fine. That's great. How long do you break? Either? Okay, great. What are your burn rates that you need to, that, that are legitimately going to kick in when you, when you get the cash? What are you going to do? What does your roadmap really look like now that you know exactly what your, what your development costs are, your development timelines are fine. what are your priorities? How does DFS Really fit into your plan how, it, how are you going to strike that balance uh, and i think I think those are the kind of questions we're feeling now, uh, but that has a fu- that's more a function i think of, of the maturity of where we are than um, you know purely around sort of the, the tenor of the marketplace now the tenor of the marketplace certainly when as I have people out there helping me raise, I'm very grateful to them as well you know, I think a lot of that a lot of what you're hearing is people being sort of hyper selective you know there's a really they're they're really sticking to their investment profile and their investment criteria. Uh, in a way that before maybe maybe they felt a little bit more at liberty to to stray from that or to to to, to more broadly define what that criteria is. I think there's been a real constriction in, in in focus on how people are, are are thinking
1: about their mandates for their LPs. And I guess, you know, as you're out there again uh, doing the roadshow for the series A round, assuming you're successful and you do close that round of funding Hussein. What are some of the major milestones that you and the team are focused on, and kind of I guess what would the proceeds of that round ultimately allow you to achieve?
0: Yeah, so it's a great question. Uh, our roadmap is dense over the next twelve months. you know, I think we're we're focused on adding some really cool products on the DFS side. You know I think there's been particularly in the emerging market space, uh, there's some really big opportunities to to differentiate, right? I mean everybody has sort of an eleven a side product, but uh, we have some pretty cool things up our sleeve that we're that we're looking to launch later this year that are derivative and still considered, and still would be considered games of skill. Uh, And then on the B2B side, you know, our focus is on integrating more cool technology. You know, whether that is trying to figure out how AI fits into everything, whether that is optimizing Mm -hmm. uh, and streamlining our our, our data analysis, whether that is things like putting in natural language chat, you know, those kinds of things that just make the user experience that much more seamless and makes the operator's life a little easier. I think those are the kind of things that we're looking to implement over the next
1: sort of 8 to 12 months. Awesome. And if you extend the timeline out a little bit further, let's say five years from now, you're sitting there right now in London and you got your crystal ball in front of you and you're looking into it. In your wildest dreams, what does life look like for Inside the Pocket and Wonder Wins in five years time?
0: Uh, you know, I think for on the, on the Inside the Pocket side, in an ideal world, we would be viewed as something like an operating system. So for instance, PlayTech selected us as a free-to-play provider, right? And, and I think for us, if we're able to do some partnerships with, with other major, you know, as, as many of the major platform providers as possible uh, and make everybody's life a little easier and become sort of that, 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 that hook in the, in the free-to-play space, I think that would, be, that would be amazing. And I think it would be a really, really awesome opportunity for us in you know, the next five years to, to get to that stage. I would say on the, on the TFN side, it would be to successfully, let's say, have uh, a really significant presence in LATAM and a, an early presence in Africa with these new products, particularly then say that they blur the line a little bit between skill and jam, but, but are still squarely on the, on the, on the skill side and, you know, hopefully, hopefully be entertaining people uh, on a,
1: on a broader basis than what we are today. Awesome. And that takes us to my final question of the day, Hussein. for this episode. It's my standard closing question. I'll quickly rattle it off to you. If you weren't working on Inside the Pocket or Wonderwinds, or you weren't working in sports or in tech, or you weren't working in any of your previous careers, in a parallel universe, what would you be doing instead?
0: Yeah, you know, I think probably something in hospitality, if I'm honest. You know, owning a hotel, running a hotel, this kind of thing, I think would be, or running a, a cool restaurant would be would be a lot of fun. I have the gift of gab that you can tell. I've, I've spent a lot of time talking. Uh, and I enjoy good food.
1: I enjoy good drink and, um, yeah, I, I, I think it would be something along those lines. Right on, right on. And for people listening that want to check out inside the pocket, maybe learn more about the platform and, or get in touch with yourself, or can you point them towards to do all of that? Thank you for that.
0: Um, so inside the pocket.io is our demo platform. Inside the pocket.biz, uh, is the, is a corporate site and, uh, I'm Hussain, H-U-S-S-A-I-N at insidethepocket.biz.
1: Awesome. Well, Hussain, we you down in New York. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah, really looking forward to, to seeing you next week at FBC summit, North America in New Jersey and New York. One thing I didn't mention at the outset here is that I will actually be moderating the first pitch competition. So I will see you in person up on stage next week and wishing you I and the other four contestants all the luck uh, in that. But for today, really appreciate you joining the podcast, sharing more about your story and really wishing you and your team all the best for the rest of the year ahead here.
0: That's awfully kind. And, um, you've been a good friend and, uh, I know, uh, it's been it's been it's been a a complicated few months for you so you're in my thoughts and I I look forward to seeing you next month next week I
1: I appreciate you saying we'll see you soon absolutely take care of yourself